Song of Solomon, which we have been uh, mining here for the last couple of Bible classes, and today I'd like for you to go to the fourth chapter of the Song of Solomon. fourth chapter of the book of Song of Solomon and the first verse there, Song of Solomon 4 and verse 1, Behold, thou art fair, my love, behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is of the flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. That may not sound too romantic or even too, uh, may even sound comical to you. You've got to remember this is an Eastern love song. And to correctly associate with this, you've got to have sometimes an understanding of their vernacular. But especially here, I'd like for you to notice that portion that says, Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. And if you go to chapter 6 and verse 5, you have in the latter portion of that verse the exact same comment. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Gilead. Praise God. And I want to use that as our jumping off place here today from the Song of Solomon. And uh, I'm going to consider together something that the Spirit of the Lord would have us to comprehend. If you're rooted and grounded in love, you can do it. If you're not, you won't comprehend anything. Being able to comprehend spiritually does not have so much to do with intellectual power as it does with heart devotion. You'd be surprised Amen. People that seemingly have great intellect, they cannot perceive the things of God. It is a heart situation. You understand from the heart. Salvation itself, amen, is expressed as a man believeth in his heart and expresses with his mouth. But that's not except the Lord is your personal Savior, by the way. It is a conversation of our life. It is our manifestation of what is in our heart is what he's talking about. Amen. If it's in your heart, as is another way of saying that uh, in Louisiana terms, is that what's down the well is going to come up in the bucket. Well, praise the Lord. And that's a fact. Hallelujah. a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Praise the Lord. You are what your heart is. Regardless of what you try to put on, amen, what you are in your heart is what you are. Praise the Lord. Amen. So we'd like for you to help us here today. 
Would you please do that? And let's go to the Lord and lift our hands and ask Him for His help in administration of the Word of the Lord. Lord, we thank You, God, that again You would speak to us and to our lives and to our hearts. Lord, that You would somehow demonstrate Your ability to touch lives and to change situations as only You can do. I trust You. I know that I am unable today in myself to do a thing, but in Your great name, I trust in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Only a genuine relationship brings any real lasting change into someone's lives. Superficial, ships passing in the night, just brief encounters really have no way of really bringing any change to you or to I. But it takes a genuine relationship to affect lasting change in our lives, which brings us back to Ephesians 3, being rooted and grounded in love. That's a compound uh, verse there saying the same thing emphatically rooted and grounded in love. And when you get a relationship of love, not of duty, not of just regulation and form, but when you get a relationship of love, then what happens is that it truly involves a wanting to please the object of your love. That's right. That's why I believe one of the biggest uh, things that can be so destroying, so destructive in people's lives is to be all wrapped up in themselves. Lovers of their own selves more than the lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure more than the lovers of God. Amen. But that those two things are really the same thing. Lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure is really the same thing. Because it's all one-way street. It's for what I want to feel, what I want to experience, what is in it for me. Amen. But when there is a real relationship of love, it always involves the desire and the wanting. Everybody say wanting. To please the object of your love. As I've said yesterday that the way of a man with a maid is is not traceable, it's not logically understood sometimes because love does some things that's certainly above the call of duty. That's why there's still roses sold. Right? More than just sometimes bringing home the food that's set on the table. That's why there's still florists out there. There's no logical, I mean, there's no no, no, 
you can say what you want to, but you can say this would be better spent on, on uh, red beans and rice than it would be on, on roses. But you see, love says uh, red beans and rice are one thing. I like it, but my love says I'd like to show you a little something about how I want to please you. Anybody know here what I'm talking about? Some of you don't. We'll, you know, reach over and see if the person next to you is sleeping. If they start snoring, would you please raise your hand and say, here's one. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So it involves a wanting. Please. In Revelations 2, 4, the statement is made by God, nonetheless, to a church, and it's not to Trinitarians. And it is not to secular religious world. It is to any time God calls something a church, he's, he's talking about one God, Jesus' name, apostolic people. And he accuses them, rightfully so, because God doesn't make accusations that are not right, but he accuses them of having left their first love. They left it. Praise the Lord. They left their first love. There are three Greek words that, uh, you know, Greek is much more expressive sometimes and has more nuances of meanings than, than uh, the English language does. English sometimes is very restrictive on their uh, vocabulary as far as nuances and, and being able to express, but Greek was very expressive. And the same word sometimes is translated love in your Bible really comes from different Greek words. Amen. I know you probably already know that. But one of the Greek words for love is the word eros. Amen. Which we get, of course, the word erotic. It is a sensual and very base, the lowest form of the word love. That word's not even used in the New Testament. That word's not even there. The next step up is the word phileo, which means that uh, husbands love your wives. It is the strongest human to human Greek word for love that there is. And then, of course, the ultimate word is agape, which is divine, sacrificial love. And matter of fact, if you look up in your Strong's Bible sometimes, or your Strong's Concordance sometimes, you'll find it when Jesus was speaking to Peter. And, and we, we miss the expressiveness sometimes of those words when Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me? He uses the word agape. Peter, do you agape me? Do you sacrificially love me with everything in you? Do you, are you willing to go to the death for me? Peter thought he was one time, but he failed. Amen. Peter's response is not the same word. His word is phileo. Lord, you know I phileo you. And Jesus is saying, do you love me supremely to the point of sacrificial 
even to the death love, which is the word of John 3.16, for God so agape loved the world. He gave himself. That's the word there. And Peter answers back, Phileo. That's why Jesus asked it then, Peter, lovest agape thou me? And Peter again said, Lord, you know I phileo you. Praise the Lord. I wonder today, what kind of depth of love do you have? When it comes to man to wife, you know there's a love that even supersedes that. At least it better. Matter of fact, the agape love makes all the other loves down the line correct. But you get the agape not in the right place, then all the rest of them mess up on you. Well, praise the Lord. That is why the first and greatest commandment is still, Thou shalt agape the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. Because to even fulfill that, you can't do that with phileo. You've got to do it with agape. Everybody say praise the Lord. Amen. So what we're talking about here is a relationship that somehow desires to uh, satisfy or please the object of their love, even at the expense of yourself. And what he says here in the Song of Solomon in the fourth chapter, and again in the sixth chapter, is thy hair is a flock of goats that appear from Gilead and from Mount Gilead. What he is using the expression here is, and as that he stands from a distance and sees those, those, and uh, the Gilead region, that part of them had uh, a black, very black, very highly treasured uh, uh, coat from those uh, goats, and uh, from a distance, when they're all settled on that hillside on that round mound of Gilead. And from a distance, he says, that thy hair is like that covering that from a distance it covers the mound. You see that, that, that flock laying down on that mount and you see the covering of that mount. And it's a beautiful sight to see that, that beautiful black covering on that green hillside. He said, your hair is like that. I don't know if you understand it or not today, but I'd like to lead you into just for a little while here about how important the hair covering is for the woman. Well, praise the Lord. I'm afraid there's a whole lot of Pentecostal ladies and a whole lot of oneness apostolic ladies that don't even know why that the Bible instructs you and you hear your preacher talking about not cutting your hair. And when it means not cutting, it means none at all. No trimming dead ends. Well, praise the Lord. 
no burning it off, and no damaging it off. But, but why is all that? What is the purpose of all that? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11th chapter. Again, we're talking about being rooted and grounded in love. If everything in our life doesn't spring from that fountain, then it's going to sooner or later, you're going to desert it. Praise the Lord. In the 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, And verse 5, it says, But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for it is even all one as if she were shaven. In the eyes of God, if that woman cuts her hair the least in his eyes, it's as if you had lathered your head and shaved your head. I said in his eyes. Maybe nobody else around you know you've been snipping the ends of it off. But I'm telling you, who do you want to please? In his eyes, from the object of your love, if he looks down at it on disdain, are you happy with that? She dishonoreth her head, for it is even all as one if she were shaven. For if the one be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Verse 10. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head, because of the angels. Let me tell you the big problem with carnality. And it's simply this. It's blind as a bat to spiritual precepts. Carnality is as blind as it can be. It cannot see things as God sees things. That is why a carnal mind can never please God because you must have a spiritual perspective and see things from God's point of view not from man's and when you get a carnal and logical standpoint you can justify yourself into anything you want to do but when you get a rooted and grounded in love relationship with God, you're going to see things as he sees things and want to be pleasing to him. Right? Praise the Lord. Matter of fact, the Bible said that, that the carnal man cannot understand the things of God because it is foolishness to him. For instance, take this little allegory if you will you could question and we'll use Ford just for a reference here you could question the Ford emblem on your automobile's grill from the standpoint of engine performance gas mileage comfort air conditioning power 
the wearability, the longevity. And you'd have to come to the conclusion that it adds not one little bit to any of that. No, it doesn't. That emblem on the front of that car has nothing to do with engine performance. If it was off there, it would still have the same horsepower. Your seat would be just as comfortable on the inside if you unbolted the Ford emblem off the front of it. Yes, it would. The air conditioner, it wouldn't, it wouldn't change it one bit. The gas mileage wouldn't change. And you could logically start saying then, why is it on there? I could just as easily just have it missing and not be a part of this and there would be no change in anything. But you know the reason that Ford emblem's on there? It's not really for you. It was put there by its maker for its maker. Its creator, that is the hallmark, the thumbprint of the maker on that car. That's why it's not just called an automobile. It is called a Ford. Well, praise the Lord. Are you understanding a little bit of what I'm saying? What I'm saying is this. Logic cannot always come to the right answer about things. And when you begin to ascertain about why God wants uncut hair on a woman, your logic will get you in touch in a hurry. But I'd like for you to understand something that I think God put in the church, amen, that is for His hallmark. It is for His fingerprint. It is for His glory and for His majesty. Well, praise the Lord. Amen, amen. And if somewhere down that Ford line, you know, somebody down there just got to think and said, I'm going to do this company a big favor. Because you can believe this, those emblems, you know, if you add it all up, it ends up in hundreds of thousands of dollars just to put that on there. And he could say, I'm really going to, I'm really going to get in good with the boss. I'm going to extract this. I'm going to unbolt it, take it off, and when the boss comes by, he's going to be so pleased when I tell him we can get Bible. There's no need for this. And when the boss comes down and sees a bunch of cars out front that doesn't have Ford on front of it, and he goes hunting the culprit, and he says to the fella with his hat turned around backwards and his muscle shirt and cigarette hanging outside of his mouth with a torque wrench in his hand, what are you doing? I'm saving you money. I'm doing you a favor. We can completely do away with this because it's not needed. And he says, what's not needed here is you. There's a pink slip at the window. Go get it. Bye-bye. We don't need you here. Amen. We might get by with a few things that we don't put on the automobile, but Ford's going on the front of it. Amen. Because it is our hallmark. It is our mark. It is what we have said. This is our car. Amen. It is a Ford. It is not generic. Amen. And I want to tell you something today. You can hear these logic preachers that try to do away with everything that God put in the church. But I'm telling you, there's a pink slip waiting for them. God still, you hear me? God is hallmark in his
God's got a name brand church. He doesn't have a generic brand. Hallelujah. Amen. And if you want to be identified with God's church, let me tell you right now, the ladies will have uncut hair. Uncut. Unsnipped. Hallelujah. Until we understand that God has some things for His personal, own pleasure, and from His eye view when He looks down on you and on the church as a whole, He expects to see His hallmark. Praise the Lord. Somebody said, oh, it's just tradition. You're right. If you want to use Bible in 2 Thessalonians, it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Hallelujah. I'm not afraid of the word ordinance nor tradition when it is biblical tradition. Tradition is not a bad word, amen, when it is biblically firm. Hallelujah. There are some traditions in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, not men's tradition, vain tradition it calls them, but there are traditions that says you better pass them on, you better teach them to others, even you better get them to understand the precepts of biblical tradition and ordinances which do originate from God. And which, by the way, amen, this hair on both men and women is a biblical tradition. But it goes much more than just a tradition. There's a reason why God wants that emblem on His church. Amen. Bear with me here a minute. Head. Amen. Dishonoreth her head. Head meaning not just this thing sitting on top of your shoulders. It means the authority of origin. Amen. That's why it says Christ, man, woman. Christ is hair of the man. Man's hair of the woman. Right? That is Bible. Praise the Lord. Amen. And the head of the man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. Well, praise the Lord. And Christ is the head of both of them. And this is what it simply says. It's very simple to understand. Man is not to be covered. And the woman is to be covered. Isn't that what he says? How about the rest of y'all? Hello out there. Is that what it says or not? Man is not to be covered. Woman is to be covered. The question there comes, and by the way, just to clear the, the slate here, which I don't believe it being a problem here, but let me just tell you this, hair is definitely the covering spoken of here. It tells you that emphatically, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Not a hat, but hair. Not a veil, but hair. Well, praise the Lord. But the question that comes up when you say, Man is to be uncovered, and woman is to be covered. The question comes up, what are they supposed to uncover, and what is supposed to be covered up? 
Or have you asked yourself that? It has more to do than just this thing on your, your neck called your physical head. Because the Bible says this, the man is the image and the glory of God. Right? The man is the image and glory of God. Therefore, he is not to cover the glory of God. That's, that's exactly what let's say. That's why apostolic Holy Ghost men have neat, clean haircuts. They do cut their hair. If uncut hair on a woman is a covering, it is the same thing for a man. If he does not cut his hair, amen, it is a covering which is against this book. He is covering up something that God wants exposed, which is the glory of God, because the man is the image and glory of God. It doesn't say that about the woman. It doesn't say the woman is also the image and glory of God. It said she is the glory of the man. The man is the glory of God. The woman is the glory of the man. Praise the Lord. So the ordinance is man is to be uncovered, keep his hair cut. Woman is to be covered, keep her hair uncut. And when the hair is uncut, by the way, amen, which new converts just coming to God and out of the world, like Brother White said last night, people, you get out of the world, they are truly messed up. And there's few of them out there that have any semblance or resemblance of what's supposed to look godly about. And they may come in that has a closer haircut than some of you men that get prayed through. But as long as she don't put the scissors back to it, she's all right. I said she's all right. It's supposed to be uncut. And in time it will grow. Praise the Lord. And the man comes down with a string and down his back with a pony. That, to me, it's still the most stupid looking thing in the world to me to see a ponytail on a man. How dumb. Well, that's just me. I like to see them ponytails hit the floor. Amen. And get to, you know, most uh, ponytails, they might have named it right because it's some kind of animal that usually has that type of tail anyway. But when I was in the army, and went in the army, as far as I was ever in church, sat down in that chair, and that fellow said, uh, You want to keep them sideburns? Of course, back then, when I went in the army, just tell you how long ago it was, that's when sideburns come down here. And I said, Sure. He said, Okay, catch. And zip up he went. When I got out of that chair, the funny thing about it was they always sized your hat before they cut your hair. And then when they cut it, you put it on, it come down like this. Hallelujah. If a man covers his head, he is covering, in essence, the glory 
of God. The image and glory of God. His origin. That is why that Absalom in his rebellion dishonored his father, his king, and the one that restored him to the kingdom by his long, uncut hair. Praise the Lord. And so, if a woman uncovers, if a man is exposing the glory of God because he is the image of glory of God, then a woman is to be covered. If she is not covered, what is it that she has exposed? Well, read it for yourself. The glory of man. If she cuts her hair, she has brought into view and brought into the open one of the most hated things in the sight of Almighty God there is. Man's own glory for the glory of the man that no flesh should glory in his presence. When she cuts her hair, she is exposing in view of God the thing that this Bible so many times comes against so strongly, and that is when man glorifies himself, amen, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, amen, they glorified themselves, and if there is any way and any quicker way to get in trouble with God, I don't know what it is, than for man to start glorying in himself. I said for man to start exercising and exhibiting his own glory. This Bible is full of accounts of men that did just that and brought swift retribution and judgment from Almighty God that exposed their own glory in the presence of God. Your hair, ma'am, is a whole lot more than just something that somehow gives you a fit to put up in in the mirror. It is something God looks down on and says, I want it covered. Hallelujah. The Old Testament gives a few instances of women being uncovered. In Deuteronomy, it gives one instance where that if there was a woman that was taken captive, and that this man would have a desire unto her, and that he would want her for his wife. Amen. He shall bring her to his house, and shall shave her head, and pare her nails. Because he has, he has captured, he is her captor. Man has prevailed over her. So therefore, her head is shaven, shaven, to express the glory of man, man's power, man's uh, ability. Amen. He pairs her nails too. Because, see, she didn't come in this thing willingly. She's a captor. You better cut her fingernails. Praise the Lord. I remember some years ago, old Brother Goodrow was talking about a business meeting he was in. He said, and it got hot and heavy and some old sister raised up and said, if it wasn't for the Holy Ghost, I'd scratch your eyeballs out. He said he sure was glad she had it. Hallelujah. But man has, has prevailed over her, so her head is shaven to express man's glory. 
This is Old Testament. And also in Numbers, it, if a man ever believed that his wife was unfaithful to him, which would have damaged his glory. He was to take her before the priest, and there was a, you remember that jealousy uh, deal that went through? That little ritual that took place? Maybe some of you don't. What happens is he brings it before the priest, and he says, I think my wife has been unfaithful to me. Amen. So the priest shaves her head. She has damaged this man's glory to begin with. And then there is a little concoction made up from the dust of the earth and from uh, from bitter water, amen, taken from the laver, that water was, amen, where the priest washed himself, and then he was to write the curses of unfaithfulness and then dip it in that water and that ink mixed in that water, and then you got, you got uh, dirt and you got ink and you got water, and then she's got to drink it. And if she's guilty of unfaithfulness, her stomach will swell and she will die. That's in your Bible. Praise the Lord. But she damaged his glory. Now in the New Testament, man's glory must always be covered in the presence of God. God doesn't want man's glory exposed in his presence. And when a woman cuts her hair, both individually and in the, the unified body of Christ, when God looks down on this service, he wants to see one thing, the glory of God, which is men with cut hair. And what he does not want to see is man's glory, man's abilities, man's integrity, man's way of doing things. He wants that covered up. And it is plain. He says here, because of the angels, she is to have power on her head because of the angels. Man glory and man's ability and man's wisdom even which by the way brings you back to the song of Solomon which this was Solomon was wise he was so powerful he was so uh, uh, filled with the glory of the kingship and all those things but you see that's the thing that God does not want exhibited he does not want your glory he wants his glory amen he doesn't want man's glory he wants God's glory in the midst of this and this lady amen always denies Solomon's glory and Solomon's wisdom and she's interested in one thing exhibiting the glory of her shepherd exhibiting the glass why the shepherd says your hair reminds me of those sheep on a hill it's a beautiful sight to me I'm telling you you may not like it but God said when he looks down and sees an apostolic church with women with uncut hair he said it's beautiful because it covers the hated thing of man's glory well praise the Lord everybody hallelujah Amen, amen, amen. And then he makes this statement because of the angels. I don't have a lot of time to deal with this, but there's a whole lot of interpretations about what that means. Amen. Which some of them are completely ridiculous. 
Amen. One of them says that uh, it makes the angels to call, make, insurrect them to, to uh, insurrection, to make them riot against the angels' lust after them. And they use that scripture in Genesis, of course, where the uh, sons of God saw the daughters of men. Dumb. I said dumb. And then there's others that say, well, since angels are spoken of as being ministers, then it means that you ought to have it uh, fixed up like that for visiting preachers. Ain't none of this done for men, period. Matter of fact, anything you do in living for God, you shouldn't do it as unto be a spell. You ought to do it as unto the Lord. Matter of fact, tithe pay is just that way, whether you knew it or not. I said tithe payings that way. You pay them as unto the Lord. Amen. Not as unto be a spell. Well, praise the Lord. And if he goes out of here and goes down to Winn-Dixie and buys a whole cart full of double bubble and lays out in the parking lot and blows one bubble the size of an automobile, you drive by and say, God bless my preacher. Well, praise the Lord. Because it ain't your business to worry about what he did with the tithes. They're paid as unto the Lord. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Hey, sir, how about you? Good. Well, praise the Lord. I get looking when you start talking about tithes and see people tighten down on you. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, you get that spirit on you, and you're as good as in hell already. Because you're a thief and a robber. Have you robbed me in tithes and offerings? When you pay it as unto the Lord. Of course, I used a ridiculous allegory there. But you can be sure of this. This preacher outgives any 20 of you 20 to 1. Look around here. You think all this came in just from your little offering? There's a man that has somehow been a good steward of the things of God. I thank God for that. But what I'm saying is, it is unto the Lord. You don't hire any preacher, you don't fire him, and you sure don't pay him no salary. God, you give it unto the Lord, and the Lord gives it to him. That's just the way this works. Ain't no deacon board going to sit in some type of conference and set up some type of salary. Amen. We're not built that way. You hear me? This is God's church. Amen. God's church. That he that lives by the gospel and preaches it should live by it. Muzzle not the ox that turneth out the corn. Amen. But it's done as unto the Lord. Amen. And so what you see is is that we're doing something here as an object of our love because of what he wants. What's these angels got to do with anything? Hallelujah. You know, it just says, he just throws it out there. He doesn't make any big explanations or anything. He just said, she got power ahead and ought to because of the angels. And that just leaves you shaking your head sometimes. What what they got to do with it? And... Uh, well, you can understand this expression, I think. Be sure and stop at the red light because of the policeman. You understand that phrase, don't you? You know why? Because you understand the office of the individual, the policeman.
Therefore, you understand the other injunction about why you ought to stop at the red light because of the policeman. And when you understand the office or the position of angels, then you understand the phrase because of the angels. And to understand any form of government, you must understand it from the top down, not from the bottom up. That's why you've got to have God's eye view on these things. God did ordain government. And he did ordain uh, both earthly and heavenly governments. And there are even angelic structures in his government. Prince and uh, principalities and all those things. There are structures even in, in uh, the government of God's angelic host. But throughout the Bible, you know, Jacob saw something of that process when he was seeing there the angels ascending and descending from uh, heaven on that ladder. He saw something of that process. And throughout the Bible, you see that angels can be several different things. They can be messengers. There's times that they were messengers. There's times that there are guardians. He'll give his angels charge over thee and count round about them that fear him. Amen. They can be unseen witnesses and covenants between you and God. And last but not least, they're also agents of God's judgments many times. Oh, yes, they are. You find that throughout the Bible. And I can tell you again that one thing that always brings swift and sure judgment is man glorifying himself. Perilous times shall come, and the first rattle out of the boxes, men shall be lovers of them own selves. And that's the nutshell reason for all that follows about all the rest of those things. Look at a situation where that Men begin to build a tower. It's called the Tower of Babel. And they begin to build it. You know, some people have erroneously read that statement and thought that they were trying to actually get into heaven with that tower. You misinterpret the Scripture itself. They're not that stupid. But what it does say is that they said, Come, let us build a tower for our name's sake. For our glory. Let's make a monument that will reach so high into heaven that every time we see it, we will applaud ourselves. That was the purpose of that monument, to man's glory. And when they began to build it, God looked down and said they will achieve their purpose. He's not worried about them climbing, plumbing to heaven on this thing. The purpose is they're going to make a monument to themselves, to worship themselves, to glorify themselves. And he says to his angels, come on, let's go down. You seen those new billboards around? God says, 
One of them says, don't make me come down there. Hallelujah. But he says, come on, let's go down because they will achieve their purpose. They're going to they're rally and be worshipers of themselves like you ain't never seen before. And we're going to go down and confuse their language. That's why it's called the Tower of Babel. And there they, they suddenly were touched by the judgment of God. He'd been scattered abroad and went away from their purpose. He'd been because of God's judgment against it. And anytime you start trying to make a name for yourself, you're going to find God saying, come on, I'm fixing to go down and take care of this situation. Amen. I don't care if you give it any religious significance and sounding all, but if in the motive behind it all is to build your own little kingdom and to do your own little thing, I'm telling you, God said, I'm not going to bless it. I'm going to put judgment on it. Hallelujah. Nebuchadnezzar has to be the prime example of what I'm trying to say. This man stepped out on the podium of his, his upstairs apartment and looked out across all of Babylon. And he began to look at all that and says, By my majesty, by my power and for my glory, I have done all this. And God said, oh, really, Mr. Man's glory? Let's see how mighty and majestic you really are. And God told an angel, kick his feet out from under him. Hallelujah. Put him on his all fours. And God made his, his, his hair grow out. His fingernails like talons. Amen. His hair grew like feathers of an eagle. And seven times passed over him. And he's out there eating grass like an ox. When people drove by, he's out there like some animal. Amen. On his all fours. Rooting up the grass and chewing it. When just a little while ago, he was a king sitting with all majesty and power. And God said, let's see how mighty you really are. Let's see, Mr. Sir, that wants to vaunt your glory and give your power and give your majesty and give not the glory to God. I'll show you what you really are and put him on his all fours. And after seven seasons passed over him, he came back to his mind and said, Now no, there is no God in all the earth but Jehovah. Hallelujah. You start glorifying yourself. There's another character that had to be almost a cousin of Nebuchadnezzar, and that's Herod. In Acts the 12th chapter, it says, And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. Brother, when he did that, his chest just poked way out. His pride just filled the place. But you better read on. And immediately, everybody say immediately, and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him 
because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Hallelujah. When they begin to cry out, it's the voice of a God and not of a man and he started receiving it. Even there's other people in here that were accused of being gods too and they said, don't do that. Amen. Oh no, don't do that. We're men like you are. Amen. But give glory to God. But Herod soaks it all in. He basks in it. He receives it. And immediately God gave him a knock and an angel knocked him out of his throne and put him down and skin worms devoured him. Because God hates man's glory. No wonder pride is one of the most accursed things. Because it is man sticking out his chest and saying, I am something in the presence of God. Angels rejoice over one sinner that repents. But the fight of the century had to have been with a man that was so used to using his wit, his intelligence, his scheming and plotting. Amen. And that was Jacob. Jacob could have went the way of Herod. He lived by his wit. Hallelujah. But there came a day the Bible said an angel wrestled with Jacob he wrestled and wrestled until that Jacob came to the place that God humbled him and he went on that limp that that angel gave him the rest of his life always reminding him don't get too high and mighty buddy remember you're just a man. But God receives all the glory. Let me tell you some of you folks that come to church and just reserve your praise from God. Do you know what you're doing? Keeping it for yourself. You know, I, I don't know. I just It just somehow does something to me to have to beg people to worship. It just does something to me to somehow get out there and make people do gymnastics. It just somehow does something to me to see folks that you've got to pull it out of, beg it out of course, or threaten it out of them, even before they ever will try to even give any semblance of worship. Amen. But I'm telling you, it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, and bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and those within me bless his holy name. That's the way you're supposed to come to church. That's the way you're supposed to be in church. Amen. Giving the glory to God. God. Hallelujah. That he would receive all the glory. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So when a woman cuts her hair, she is exposing one of the most hated sights in the view of God, and that is man's glory. That's why we preach and teach you do not cut your hair according to the statutes of this Bible. Because when you do from God's eye view, you've exposed a hated thing in his sight. And man is to keep his hair cut to reveal the glory of God. 
angels, not one time you'll ever find them ministering to and for man's glory. Never. You'll find them ministering to men, but not for their glory, not one time. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The, the temple, rather than the tabernacle, of course, the people in the time of Jesus would have been more familiar with the tabernacle than they would have been the, I mean, the temple more than the tabernacle. But there were some differences between them. And one of the major differences was in the holiest of holies. In the old tabernacle, in that holiest of holies, there was that, of course, covering with a cherubim embroidered on that. And then, of course, the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim, these angelic beings represented there that are facing each other but looking down in the mercy seat where the blood was applied. But in the temple, when it was made, there were in the holiest of holies, of course, also cherubim embroidered, but it was also carved in, in the big folding doors that led in to this area that were there. And there was also angels represented all over. Plus, there were two massive huge cherubim 15 foot tall 15 foot wingspans two of them the wings spread like this the tip of each one touching the other to wall these two massive cherubim beneath where the wings touched was the place for the ark of the covenant with its gold lid and its golden cherubim where that blood was applied. You could not step into that holiest of holies and not be aware of the presence of angels. And when that high priest came in, and he better not even come in there unless he's got blood. But when he comes in with blood and all these that are looking at him. One and only time. His hair, see, if his hair was not the covering, then he would have been out of place with what, he, what God did here because he put a mitre or a turban-looking affair on the high priest, breastplate, all these other things, and the linen clothing. But he had a mitre, it's called high priest hat right here across the front it says holiness unto the Lord and when he comes in there with blood he doesn't realize it because it's yet a time yet to come see to be the high priest he had to go through an ordinance he had to be washed he had to have blood put on his ear lobe his thumb and his great toe. That was part of the... They, they don't understand what all that's about. It's types and shadows of what was to come. And when they walk in under those massive... You couldn't help but feel the intimidation of these huge angels, angels everywhere. You better come right because of the angels that watch in this place. And when they come and put the blood and make a 
a offering for the sins of the people and for himself. And God rolls ahead, pushes ahead, and says, one more year, you get by. Calendar pages flip. Bethlehem comes. A babe is born. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is king. He is prophet. He is the great high priest. And there comes a day when that little did they know when they took off that robe they put him in a linen robe and he doesn't have a mitre they push a crown of thorns on his head hell king of Jews blood dripping down his face I can assure you some of it ran across the lobe of his ear when they nailed the nails in his hands when he was impaled on the cross the thumb was blooded one less to go the big toe has to be with blood and a Roman guard walks up with a spear right beneath the lower rib from whence in Adam a bride was made he drives that spear into his side when he jerks it out for without came blood and water I can assure you, the big toe got bloodied. You're looking at the great high priest, Jesus Christ, the glory of God Almighty, the image and the glory of God. And when that he rises again, Amen. He says to her, touch me not for I've not yet ascended. Amen. He goes into the holiest of holies in this time. Amen. In the, whole, in the real holy of holies. Of which in this earth, the temple and the tabernacle were only types. But that real one in heaven, when, he's, when Jesus Christ walks in, angels, amen, behold the high, great high priest, the real one, that comes bearing the sacrifice of, of sin offering for all men. Amen. That blood that is put upon that mercy seat of again which only in this earth was only a type. Amen. And that glory of God. Amen. Is what the angels look upon. It is that they want to see one thing and one thing only in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and that's the glory of God. That's why a man's glory must be covered up. That's why a man's glory must be hid from the sight of God and the sight of angels because it's to the glory of God you can't save yourself you didn't go to Calvary you're nothing of yourself I am what I am by the grace of God it's to his glory
Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Stand with me, would you please, here today. Hallelujah. We talked about it already just the other day. Mary comes with a precious box of ointment when she enters the house. It's not high, howdy, talk about weather and fishing. She goes straight to the feet of Jesus. What's wrong with some of you that you forgot where his feet are? She goes straight to his feet and falls down, begins to worship him with a precious box of ointment. But that's not all it says. Tears are streaming down her face. It is significant of what she does. In her position, of course, down in his eyesight below him, he sees her head. Her head is down to his feet. She takes her hair and begins to wipe his feet. It was given to her for a glory. He didn't see man's glory. He saw worship perfected. Ma'am, do you realize what Jesus sees when you with your hair uncut? He sees true worship. glory of man is covered up to God be the glory to God be the glory and with men with hands uplifted with the image and glory of God the only thing that is viewable is God's glory in this place to God be the glory for this cause shall a woman have power on her head because of the angels. And he says of her, your hair is beautiful to me because I see it covering yonder hill. It hides the earth. It hides the ground. It hides the dirt covers it and I see a covering on yonder hill that's the way he said your hair is to me next time when you start sitting before the mirror ranting and raving about your long hair tears all trickle down your face and say God thank you that I could somehow show forth his praise and his glory. Don't you want to do that? And so it is that if you don't understand that, you're not rooted and grounded in love, scissors will find its way. You know why you cut dead ends? Because the way you want to look to people and to men. God says, if you do that, if you do it just that much,
to me, it's the same as if you were shaven. You exposed man's glory. And I don't want to see that. I've been in places where there was so much men glory that it made me sick. They, they vaunted politicians back and forth across the thing and all that junk. But when we come to church, only one's worthy. And that's Jesus Christ. All you ladies here today, Holy Ghost, one God, Jesus' name, apostolic, obeying and living for God without ever infringing on this, this, this principle. As they sang right now, I want you to step out from where you're at and come around the front, all the ladies. I will bless thee, O Lord. Hallelujah. I will bless thee, O Lord. I will bless thee, O Lord. With a heart of thanksgiving. So I just stand right here around the front. You're not going to go all the way. I will bless thee, O Lord. With my hands lifted high, Hallelujah, and my mouth filled with praise. Praise the Lord. Right now, I'd just like for all the thank God for Holy Ghost filled apostolic Christian women, young ladies, single, married mothers, grandmothers, young people. It applies to all of you, it applies to your little daughters, by the way. You don't wait till they get older. Matter of fact, you don't even wait till they get the Holy Ghost before you start applying this. No more than you do it and put them in, in britches. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But right now, amen, realizing the significance to God. When he looks down here today, he looks in this. And he doesn't see man's glory. It's covered up. It's hid. It's from his eyes. Symbolically saying, God to you belongs the glory. Like all you... Sisters, if you would please, amen. Especially right now, while they sing with uplifted hands, closed eyes, and love the Lord, that you are truly a special, special unit in God's creation. Yes, you are. Praise the Lord. Amen. God made you for a beautiful purpose.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Brother Gross. I'm telling you, I don't know how to express how much I appreciate, amen, what I've heard here today, amen. I heard Brother Gross teach along these lines several years ago at another church, and I was just hoping that someday, amen, our day would come, and it's come today. And I thank God so very much for what I've heard and what I've felt here this morning. Take this to heart today. Don't take this lightly, but amen. Praise God. And uh, if you have friends, I know you do. These tapes will be available. We're not in this to make money. You know that. But uh, it might save somebody's soul. And you can get these tapes for the J the whole set or just any particular tape you want. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Just lift your hands again and thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank God. Thank God. Amen. Let me just uh, mention this. Amen. Sometimes folks feel like, well, I won't eat here. They may be short of, short of food. We never run out of food. Amen. You can, you can go through line ten times today. When you get through, there's still going to be plenty of food over there. I'm telling you, and I don't want anyone to think, I think I'll just go down to McDonald's. Amen. Don't do that. Amen. Go over to the dining hall. Brother Upton, pray God's blessings on the food for us right now. Thank God. Praise the Lord. All right. Make your way to the dining hall now. Go through the front, uh, the middle building of the doors. Come down. Take your time. Plenty of food. More in the kitchen. <laughs>